Welcome to the Safe Car Golf Podcast, where two average golfers talk about golf and things. I'm your host, Derek. I'm your host, Dominic. We are currently on episode 40, and we have a very special guest today. We have Evan from The Par Train. Not only do they have 700,000 podcast downloads, but they help frustrated golfers get off the struggle bus and enjoy the ride again. If you don't follow them on Instagram, make sure to hit that follow button. The Instagram handle is at The Par Train. Evan, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on our podcast. Uh, we're very excited to have you. Pick your brain a little bit on how to avoid the struggle bus. Uh, I feel like the mental aspect of the game is so important and can really make or break around, right? Yeah. Well, thank you guys for having me. I just said I was on another podcast a couple of weeks ago, and I'll say the same thing to you guys. It's fun being on the other side. I have no notes. Uh, I've just got you guys on my whole monitor. And... Uh, <laughs> I'm excited for the spontaneity and the challenge of just throw me any question. Let's do it. We've been on a couple and it's, it's all, I don't want to say like it's bizarre feeling, but it's weird not having to prepare or anything. It's just yeah. wondering what they're going to ask. Right. It's well, also valuable, right? Cause it's like yes. interesting to see how you guys open up. It's interesting to see if people send an email, if it's automated, if it's not just the things you say before we record I mean, I've done 188 episodes. And so it's just so interesting. I feel like so many podcasters aren't really in touch. At least I'm not. I'd like to be more sure. uh, in touch with more other podcasters to trade best practices and other things. So I love this stuff because it also is a great practice for me of like, wait, what did I say there? What is important to me in that realm? You know, you're not put on the spot as much. So it's, it's valuable for me too. Well, you're doing something right. Cause you have over 700,000 downloads on your podcast. Isn't that correct? Yeah. Impressive work. That is awesome. So and that's, uh, we, we said, we follow your content on Instagram, listen to your podcast. Um, and we really just kind of want to pick your brain on the mental aspect. We we've had so many other guests on, and this is kind of a different Avenue. So we, we've talked about this before. A lot of the listeners know that I'm a more of a serious golfer. I still have fun with it. Dom is more of the, I'll shoot whatever I want. I'll be happy either way. So um, we've never had a coach, mental, a swing coach, but kind of self-taught. From, well, you did have lessons when I, you were a kid. Yeah, I took lessons when I was little. My grandparents were like, hey, we think you'd like this. And then they like just kind of threw me out. And then I took lessons. And then I didn't play golf for a long time because I didn't have any friends who played golf. And then I learned I did in high school. It's this whole thing. Um, but yeah, I, I guess I am kind of taught but not really. Cause I took like a 10 year break. Yeah. Well, cause uh, Dom's kind of a baseball guy. I know I haven't, I think on your, the bio, yeah. you're, you're a big baseball guy yeah. as well. Um, but, but can you kind of just tell us a little bit of how the par train got started? And um, I know he said you have the Instagram page, TikTok, and and the podcast is kind of the big, uh, is that your kind of your big target audience for the most part? Yeah. It's funny. I feel like we did it kind of the opposite that most people do. I think it's a lot easier to launch a podcast when you got a following and you can get this big influx, you know, of, of listeners and people like your page. It's a lot easier to get someone to say, Hey, oh, they have a podcast. I'll listen to that. But we started with a podcast and I created the Instagram page because we had a podcast. And, uh, the short story is, uh, my co-host and buddy, Matt Cermak, who's based in Chicago. I'm in LA. He uh, played college golf at Missouri State with my best friend I grew up with. So Cermak was kind of the college best friend. I was the childhood best friend. We're both sure. similar personalities, but we got brought together over the years of various trips and things. And uh, we gave a joint speech at Ryan's rehearsal dinner when he got married, I think five or six years ago. And uh, we did pretty well. You know, I don't want to compliment ourselves, but it was a pretty good speech. I think Cermak wore a blonde wig. We, we role-played a bit. It was, uh, it was funny. And find this we, on YouTube at all? No, unfortunately we probably <laughs> should. I think someone, someone has yeah. the video. Sure. Someone was recording it. We got to find that video. But yeah, uh, like I said, long story short, we just kind of looked at each other. It's kind of a weird way to start a podcast, but there was electricity with both of us holding the mic. We played off each other. Well, and frankly, you know, Ryan, our mutual best friend is sounds a little bit similar to uh, Dom, where in the sense that he doesn't really like thinking about anything. 
Now it's different. He's a scratch college player and Dom's a little bit different level, but still like there's, <laughs> you know, yeah. there's, st- there's some guys that like Dustin Johnson is one. He's not really technical about how he's doing it, what he's doing. He just kind of, you know, walks up the ball and hits it. Something that I think a lot of people probably wish they could do. Uh, Cermak is more analytical. He likes tinkering and I'm not really analytical as a person, but as a golfer, I love understanding what makes people tick and how to get better. And so Sir Mac and I would always geek out and uh, I just go to my job at the time and I'd come into work and someone said to me, like, you have a good voice for radio. You should do a podcast. And I was like, yeah, I don't know what that means. Uh, Does that mean I don't have a face for TV? What does that mean? Uh, (laughs) But, uh, but no, so we just started it like five or six years ago, the show evolved and uh, we're a mental game show. We're trying to help frustrated golfers enjoy the ride again. And we're trying to make the mental game relatable. You know, I've told this to people before where not everybody's going to walk into a Barnes and Noble or an Amazon bookstore back when people went in bookstores and grab a self-help book. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. But if you hear someone that's like you talking about an experience about how their mind impacted their well-being, you might be more open to it. And we kind of see ourselves as that not everybody's going to want to download a sports psychologist podcast, but we have a, we've had all the best sports psychologists on our show. And through this show, I've started to coach people and I've been into mindfulness since I was 16. And it's something I was kind of embarrassed by that. I kind of hid from my friends and family. And I just was like, you know what, if we're going to do a show, I want it to be 100% me and authentic. And with Cermax, like pure player and how good of a player he is, an amazing short game, great strategist. Like, I think we play off each other well. And um, yeah, we it's been super humbling to see the amount of people that have messaged us saying that we've changed the way they feel and and play on the on and off the course. So yeah, wild that it's been that long. But well, I can say the amount of people that have you know, messaged us, even since we kind of posted that you're going to be on, it's unreal. How many people that you guys have not, not necessarily like impacted, but the amount of reach you've gotten and the way your name kind of carries volumes, I think is very impressive. Yeah, Um, absolutely. It means that you're doing something right. And, you know, we've had, I don't know how many messages we've had, but people, people are excited. Yeah. We're, we're excited. I said, kind of pick your brain and just kind of get the other the other side of, uh, of the golf game where there's the, the physical, like having the skill and being decent at golf. And then there's that, that mental part where you said everyone kind of think struggles for the most part um, yeah. the, the, the name itself though is fantastic. Cause I mean, every time I hit a, make a par, I'm always saying I'm on the par train, right. And, <laughs> and we can quickly fall off that par train, which we're trying yeah. to avoid. So the name first off is fantastic. Um, well, Derek, we, we bonded years ago when we first started DMing each other of like, we, we should do something together. We're both about saving pars, making pars. I mean, we talked about that. And I know that's something that I would love to do. Yeah. We talked about maybe doing like a mini series of some sort down the you road. Know what the, the irony is you guys were DMing and who set this up? It was Dom. Yeah. I did. <laughs> it's very true. Good for though. you, Dom. <laughs> no. Uh, well, I remember Derek was like, oh, yeah, we were like emailing or something. And I was like, oh, that was a while ago. And I had like a brain blast one night and I was like, I'll just shoot him a DM to what happens. So, yeah, no, I, I appreciate you coming on. Like I said, we 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 have kind of DM back and forth for quite some time. And that that's one of the whole reasons why we started Safe Park Golf, too, is that the love of the game, but the golf community is so fantastic and so tight knit, whether you're out of LA, we're here in Minneapolis. Um, we've connected from people from with people all over the the world, you know? So it's, it's, yeah. it's very cool. And I think that that goes a long way. And that's part of the reason why we do the podcast too, just to help gain some exposure, or get exposure to, to some people that maybe have never heard of you or, uh, I'm sure they have considering your uh, volume on the podcast, but, um, I think it's really impressive that you've done it kind of like you said in the opposite, opposite way that, you know, we started our podcast saying like, Hey, we got a pretty big following. Let's start a podcast. And you kind of did it the opposite way. Was that something that did you have, I know you said like, you didn't really know too much about podcasts or music or uh, um, recording, but did you have like a full team to help you out with like starting the podcast itself? Or was it just you and you and Matt and just kind of started it and let it roll or. 
Yeah, I would I would highly uh, appreciate if you didn't go back and listen to episodes one through whatever. Uh, it was an incredibly different show. You could tell I was so incredibly nervous. I got I don't drink much now these days. I'm getting old. But uh, back then, you know, I was getting drunk before episodes just because I was so nervous. I was over enthusiastic. Um, and yeah, we started it from nothing, just us. And even to this day, it's just us. We have an intern, uh, intern Hank that helps with stuff, but, uh, I'm actually looking for an editor, um, video and audio soon so that I can maybe cut off my, my number of edits at 188 instead of continuing <laughs> to climb at 200. But yeah, man, it's just been us, but you know, I think that's also been cool. Like it, I never I never thought that we would get to hundreds of thousands of downloads. I always hoped and dreamed we could, but we were just kind of doing our thing, made a commitment every Sunday. We do it. It doesn't matter if it's Christmas week. It doesn't matter if someone's sick, we do it, you know? And uh, that's actually really helped the creativity. It's forced us to do well. It's like the, the light from the heavens just came down on you guys. That was amazing. That was, that was kind of crazy. Yeah. The light is on, but one of the lights has been kind of flickering and that just completely turned on. So. <laughs> that was, that you guys was, both that looked was, up wow. like you were touched by God. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, no, that was kind of wild, but oh. I, I wanted to ask you, so I, I have a, I'm a 9.4 handicap. I typically shoot low to mid eighties. I've, I've broken 80 before, but that's kind of my goal is to, I think that's kind of everyone's goal for the most part, but to consistently break 80, um, would you say like a mental coach is for someone that should have, like, that has an established handicap or is it really for, for any type of golfer out there? Cause I think like I'm obsessed with golf and I wish I could play it every day. And then there's some people that maybe play it once in a couple, every couple of weeks. What, what's your, what's your kind of like customer base, so to speak, as far as are most of these people like have a, low handicap, high handicap, or is it all in between? Good question. Um, when we had Dr. Joe Parent, author of Zen Golf, one of my favorite books on the show, he actually said uh, that most people think that you get your physical game good enough. Then once you get your physical game good enough, you work on your mental game. And I had that misnomer too. Like I made a video, I don't know, six months to a year ago where I said, you know what? I'm sick of making the same mistake every year where every year I work on my swing and I say to myself, once my swing's good, I'll start working on my short game. Right. And once I start working on my short game, I'll do my mental game. And I've just realized over the years. And now every week as we're talking to more and more great people in the game of golf and in the mental space and people just like you and me, when we unpack their mental games, it really should be the other way around. That's what Dr. Joe Parent said. It should, it's it, people have it backwards. If you start with your mental game, it gives you a better chance for your true authentic swing to come out. So Dr. Bob Bertella, another great sports psychologist told us, what gives you a better chance? Golf's hard enough. We all have our flaws. What do you think has a better chance of allowing your best swing to come out? Is it a bunch of negative thoughts about how terrible you are, or is it a bunch of hopeful, positive thoughts about where you want it to go and what you could do? And uh, so I look at a lot of things through that dichotomy of just like, what gives you a better chance? You might not think it's true, but if you act as if you certainly give yourself an opportunity to execute. So the same sense of like, like negativity kind of rubs off. So if you got those negative thoughts, you're going to continue to maybe to play that way. Or like with your positive thoughts, you're kind of thinking like, you know, regardless, I'm going to have this positive thought. Maybe it's not going to happen. Or maybe I, you know, it's not going to happen all the time, but if I can think positive about it, I'm going to enjoy it that much more. Is that kind of, kind of a little bit of the process on that? Yeah. Like for I mean, example, it's, like it's, the first T you get up to the first T and most people have that first T uh, anxiety, so to speak of like, okay, I have these, random people behind me staring me down and now I just don't want to top it. And then you got that in your mind, yeah. but you know what I mean? Is that, well, why do you think guy or gal number two is so good? You guys know the phrase guy number no. two is no. undefeated. So here's the scenario. You're on the first tee, right? You think don't top it. I don't want to embarrass myself. Ironically, 
by trying not to do something, you're creating resistance. Yep. That resistance gets in the way of you having your authentic, true swing, athletic move. Yep. We've all hit hundreds of golf balls. We've all hit perfect shots before. Our body doesn't forget how to do that. It's just whether or not there's interference. So ironically, by trying to prevent a negative result, you're creating interference. You top it. You're doing exactly what you're trying not to do. Then you say, okay, breakfast ball, you smash (laughs) it, right? Because the thing already happened. So what the part train's about is helping people realize that, hey, that's normal. That thought could be there. It's not about resisting the thought. The mental game is not about telling yourself positive things every second of every round and getting yourself down if you have a negative one. It's just realizing what's the most productive mental process that can help you get the best out of your game. So one thing I'll give you guys an example, Rick Sessinghouse, we actually just had him back on the show this past week. He's Colin Marikawa's longtime swing and mental coach Been coaching him since he was like eight years old. Um, So he's seen it all. And Rick told us that a great key, because there's executional physical keys as well with the mental game. It's not just what you think. So one great key for the first T, if you're worried about nerves, right? Is holding your finish. So that's an executional key that you could focus on of, okay, as long as I hold my finish, that leads to balance, right? More of an under control swing that'll lead to good things physically, but it's an executional non-result driven thought that puts you in a better position to hit a decent shot on the first tee. Now, another thing we should call out is also challenging what's not true this whole thing about nerves of the first tee, you're going to have 80, 90, hundred more shots the rest of the day. And guess what? The putt on 18 is worth the same thing as number one. So this whole notion that our first tee shot dictates our day isn't true. It's just our ego being afraid of being embarrassed. So I don't know about you guys, but have you ever had a perfect tee shot on one off oh, yeah. the first tee and shoot sure. a bad score? Absolutely. Every Have time. you ever topped it on one and shot a great score? Yep. So that's an interesting know. take. I, I actually, <laughs> Tom, maybe not so much. Brutally honest. No. Well, but, my, you know, I, the one I vividly remember, I don't think it's like an, like an awful shot or a best shot. I shot my lowest round with you when we were playing uh, Victory Links. Yep. My, the first tee, I hit this big, just like stinger banana hook thing. And it just like hovered on the ground and then just cranked it right. And I was like, is that good? And I think Derek was like, it's going to have to be because there's a group behind us. <laughs> yeah, we got to go. We got to go. And Derek just hit a bomb. But I don't know. I Everything you're saying just is like, yeah. It makes, it makes just, sense. I'm just taking it all in. Yeah. No, I love it's, that because we don't think about it like that. Yeah. And it's so important to like ask the questions, right? Because a lot of people, what we do in life too is we take our thoughts as facts. One of the best doctors in anxiety told us that the biggest trap is treating their thoughts as facts instead of hypotheses, right? And so you think or feel something and you're like, well, that must be true. But actually your real self is the observer of the thoughts, not the thoughts, not to get too meta or heavy, but it's no. just, it's, it's important to question things that you've done forever. Like, why am I nervous on one? Okay, well, I don't want to embarrass myself. Well, what does embarrassment even mean? Is that real? Because they're going to, those people, I, I don't know them. And guess what? Golf's really hard. And the best <laughs> players in the world has, have topped it before, right? So it's like, you know, it's also an expectation exercise and creating a narrative that's a little bit lighter, a little bit more forgiving of yourself and then play golf that way. I mean, how often do you guys have a terrible front nine trying to make something happen, trying to not mess up? And then you think your, your round's over and you play a great back nine because yep. that great back nine is removing the interference. You're no longer trying to prevent anything. That's so the same round that I had that big weird tee off. If, if you remember, the front nine was kind of just like, oh, yeah, Dom's here. And then the back nine, it was like, 
par, 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 birdie. And it's just like yeah. lights out back nine. It's because um, there was no resistance, right? Well, I also had a beer. <laughs> that also removes but, resistance. Yeah, a lot of it. <laughs> a lot of it just, I was like, well, I'm not nervous. You know, I'm usually not nervous on the first tee either because it's like, yeah, everybody kind of sucks at this game. You know, yep. unless you're on the PGA. But then if you're on the PGA, you're not waiting for me to tee off. That's how I've always thought about it. Um, I've had that attitude for a long time, though, especially kind of. Yeah, you don't really see Don Mad on the golf course. So he's a special, special kind on the golf course. Well, I think to- like what's different, like with my brain is, you know, you've been talking about how, you know, not to think about certain things a certain way. You know, maybe you're trying too hard. I don't go out there and try to like execute certain things. I have like a mental checklist of just what I want to accomplish, whether that's, hey, I always hit it right on this hole. Maybe I won't do that this round. How can I actively go out of my way to try to make that better? Versus, hey, I want to get a hole in one. Or trying to like shoot under 80 or shoot under 85. Maybe yeah. some smaller. Yeah, it's more goals. of it's more of how can I improve every round versus how can I just play lights out this one time? So, I mean, you've said it a few times where there have been certain shots where you're like, oh, he's going to hit it right. And then I don't. And it's just like a laser. Mm-hmm. Um, when we were playing a couple weeks ago, there was a hole. And the I have a mean slice. I played baseball for a long time the whole right side is kind of in play for me nine times out of 10. And of course there's a highway there. So I was like, great. I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to smoke a semi or some poor old lady in her little Camry. And I talked to Derek. I'm like, Hey, like I'm really anxious right now because I don't want to do that. And I think Derek says something along the lines of, Hey, like just don't picture it. And I went straight left. Well, I didn't go straight left, but I played the left-hand side right over the trees and it was in the middle of the fairway. And it was one of those things where it's like, well, shit, why can't I do that every time? Yeah. So can you well, answer that for him, Evan? <laughs> well, I don't let, me give you, let me give you something, Dom, that I think yeah. will resonate with a lot of people. Because you talked about, you talked about uh, checklists and mm-hmm. ma- basically what you said is an intention for your round, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the best things I ever learned was from, I think it was Dr. Joe Perrin again of Zen Golf. He, he and a lot of people have said this. I want to give people uh, executional or behavioral or process-driven, whatever you want to call it, goals for your round. And one of the best ones is instead of your score or instead of missing it right, number of misses right versus left, I would love to have you count your number of commitments. Um, like I just did my first video on YouTube. I need to edit it, but my first full every shot vlog over the weekend, my beloved fiance shot it for me and God bless her. Um, but the, the thing was my idea for the video was it was a pretty easy course, Southern California. It's like, you can pretty much spray it anywhere. Not that long, 6,500. So I was like, you know, I'm a six handicap. So I was like, all right, well, if I commit 90% of my shots and I, every shot, I write down whether I was committed or not. Yes or no. If I commit over 90% of the time, I should break 80, but I'm not going to focus on the 80. I'm going to see if I commit over 90%. And what's going to happen is somewhat, some shots might just be flukes. You lost focus, you know, or you weren't thinking about really what you're trying to do. I know we talked about the beginning, uh, but I bet you, you'll start to see a trend with good result shots that ended up in good places uh, or not as bad versus when you didn't commit, seeing the result that there, right? And that's a great goal for people because now you are putting your energy towards something more productive versus a result, which a lot of times you can't control. I mean, we've all hit perfect drives that hit a gust of wind. And for some reason, don't hit the fairway. We've all hit perfect putts that don't go in. We've also hit terrible shots that end up in an okay spot. So as much control as we think we have, it's really kind of a crazy game. We don't have nearly as much as we do. So yeah, commitments is huge. Yeah. Commitment for me is out of bunkers and it's not green. Like green side is a huge issue for me. one reason is I don't fairly, I don't really practice them uh, often enough, but like 
fairway bunkers, I have no problem, but, but that's the thing I can commit. Cause I have, I'm, I'm fairly good out of the bunkers, but greenside bunkers, that's when you said that it kind of like resonated with me because again, I, I have a committing issue to hitting those, those greenside bunker shots. So I like that aspect of committing your shot, committing with your shots or committing to your shots, um, like drives, irons and all that on my side, I feel pretty good about that, but the bunker play. So I'm definitely going to use that next time because the more times you don't commit to a bunker shot, the more times you're going to end up in that bunker again, and you're going to have to hit it up two or three times. So uh, that's a, that's a good thought process. And I, I, you know, speaking on the Zen golf, I actually just ordered that book right before we actually hopped on the the podcast. So I'm, I'm super excited about that. I should have that in here in a couple of days. Um, So you, you interviewed him in in the past based off what you're saying. Um, so becoming like a mental coach, is that something like you kind of pick brain, the brains of other uh, psychologists or doctors or, you know, other mental coaches or how, how does that work? And how does that like, is this something you did before the par train and now you've transferred it over to the golf side or what's kind of the story with that? Yeah, good question. So um, actually, Dr. Joe Paris, such a thrill for me. We did a co-training. Uh, we co-hosted an online training like six months ago for 18 golfers where he went through 20 minutes. I went through my 20 minutes and then we did a Q and a, uh, for every like 10, 10 of the golfers. And it was super, such an amazing, like pinch me moment. But, uh, to answer your question, yes. It, so like I said, at the beginning, I kind of had one of my best friends that lived across the street, his mom was, is like this spiritual guru and I don't need to go into the full story, but essentially, uh, I was pretty down, you know, I think most teenagers go through huge waves, ups and downs, crazy insecurity, all of that normal stuff. And, um, I found, uh, the power of the mind when I was like 17, 16 or 17. And so I had been reading everything, practicing on my own, learning. I had a choice of how I wanted to react to things. And then I worked at, when I was working at Uber, um, I worked there for four years and it was during 2017. I don't know if you guys watched the show, super pumped on showtime, but um, that show basically it's based on a book that was written about the crazy times at Uber in 2017, when there was sexual harassment stuff, um, the lawsuit from Google. Um, the CEO stepped down like every week there was a crazy story coming out. And because of that stress internally was really high. Culture scores were really low to make the long story short. I was leading a team of four at the time. And my team's culture scores were like the highest on the West coast or like top three on the West coast. And my GM pulled me aside. He's like, what is going on here? And I kind of told him about the things that I do with my team and how we keep like a, you know, a good, safe environment, give people the re- the freedom to fail, very open. We talk about everything. And he's like, we're having an all West Coast training coming up. Can you do a training for 300 Uber employees on stress management? And you wow. want to talk about irony? I was pretty stressed <laughs> about giving a presentation to my peers about stress That's management. Good. Because imagine going from keeping this to myself to being up there as a quote expert and talking about it in front of my peers. Right. But I was like, you know what, when the universe presents me something and it feels right, I do it. Um, Love that. And, so, yeah. and so I did it and uh, I ended up leaving Uber. I started my own thing. It, I doing consulting. And part of that was stress management trainings based on, I was kind of using the Uber experience as like a jumping off point. So through COVID, I was doing some trainings for companies on helping people manage stress. And then with the popularity of the part train, people started reaching out for mental coaching for golf. And to me, it's just the best combination of everything that I've ever learned because, you know, golf is the ultimate mirror of our thoughts. I mean, how else can the same golfer hit a terrible shot a second after a good one? Right. And so for me, it's just the ultimate mental practice. And that's what I love about it. And so now I'm coaching golfers, um, with their mental games and 
meeting such amazing mental coaches and sports psychologists. And yeah, it's been, uh, I love it. It's, it's the favorite, most favorite thing that I do. Well, you're doing a great job. I, I also want to touch base on the mental game mailbag. So can you describe what the mental game mailbag is and what are some of the interest, most interesting questions that you might've had that you might like to share with us? Yeah. So I think one of the most different and unique things about our show is that a mental game roundtable episode, which is, could be, this could be one, right? If we're going to talk about Dominic's game or your game, Derek, like that would be a mental game roundtable. We bring on any handicap from a plus five top amateur from Illinois to a corn fairy guy, to a PJ tour product, to a 25 handicap. And ironically, those episodes sometimes outperform a PJ tour pro. Like people, I think just love hearing someone like them and a mailbag. We were like, you know what? It'd be cool to do more bite-sized multiple people in one instead of deep diving on one. So we'll get a voice note from three to five of our followers that are going through an issue and uh, we'll answer them all. And it's kind of like a fun bite-sized mental game mailbag format. In regards to the most interesting question I've ever been asked, that's good. I've never been asked that. Um, I guess one was, uh, her name was Pooja. Uh, she basically, um, I think she like, I think she drove it greenside on a short par four and she like couldn't find her ball. And the scenario was just, she was getting so in her head about, people's judgment, whether they thought like needing to go back to the T um, there was a ton of, and this wasn't even like a competitive round, you Just know, like one of the, one of the things, enough. one of the things Sir Mac and I said was like, let's also remember that like, you're not on tour. So right. like someone probably picked it up. So just drop one and hit, but then the impact that that had of she took a penalty stroke. So think about the difference of being like 15 yards off the green, having a good chance to get up and down for birdie yep. versus hitting three and now having to quote, save par. There we go. Save par golf. Um, this was a perfect game. example, actually. They're <laughs> it went to yeah. trying to save par and she was getting all in her head about what it would mean if she didn't make par from that position, which we all do all the time. But yep. I think what we talked about with that question was, first of all, she probably shouldn't be hitting three, like give yourself the drop, hit two. But Absolutely. if you were gonna, in a tournament, you actually did need to take a drop or go back to the tee box. Like, let's go back and focus on, you can have that thought, you can, you can be scared, that's normal. But okay, I got to hit a shot here. What can I focus on that's more productive, right? Okay, well, for me, when I feel like my arms are really light, and I feel like a nice pause and I lead my pitching motion with my chest and really make sure my chest faces the target. That helps me. That's an executional key that I can lean into around the greens when it's a pressure moment. Right. So sure. it's also about finding those executional keys that when the pressure's on, we talked about the one on the first tee, you can kind of go back to, Instead of leaning into, I really don't want to mess this up. I really don't want to mess this up, which we talked about is interference, probably going to skull it, chunk it, whatever. So it's really about helping her find something that she can commit to, feel comfortable with, and hit a shot that she knows. Um, so that's an example of a mailbag question. And then, so these, these, they'll either DM you or is that how that normally works? Because I've listened to a few of them, but I just for like our listeners' sake, you, they send you a DM when you guys do this once a week to the mailbag, right? Or is it once every so often that you do this? It's once every so often. Once every um, so often. We kind of, it's probably like once a month, maybe once every two months. But um, what I like is I'll reach out to some of our um, most loyal listeners, or if someone DMs me with a question, sometimes I'll be like, Hey, that was actually be great for a mailbag. Here's my email. Email me a voice note from your phone. Um, cause for some reason, Instagram doesn't let me save voice notes uh, in DMS. Yep. Uh, so yeah, I think emailing voice notes is the easiest, but if anyone wants is listening to this and wants to do it, they can uh, DM me and then I'll give them my email. That sounds perfect. Um, 
on the website. So I love the, uh, love the quote where it says, uh, work with the Ted Lasso of golf. That's fantastic. <laughs> I was like, I didn't say that. I didn't call them myself. People have called us that it's been the greatest compliment ever. But. I was just going to say, that's got to be like the greatest thing ever. I'm like, if that's the quote, then I'm in, I'm, I'm, I'm sold. Right. Um, yeah. But it, so you do, it's one-on-one coaching, correct? Yeah. Okay. So one-on-one coaching. And then as far as that works, is it, um, do you do like package deals or how, how does that work? So someone send you a message or you sign up online, you just go to the partrain.com. Yeah. So, uh, most people, what they do is we have like, um, Cause I've had, I actually had this older guy stop after a few sessions and that's probably not the right fit, you know, for me because, and for really any coach, because it takes a few sessions at least just to get to know people, understand their tendencies, build a foundation of what they're working with, what they're dealing with, what they are, what they're afraid of, what they're good at. Um, so most people, how we start is we'll do 10 sessions. Uh, when you do 10, you get the 10th free. And that way you're getting some type of deal and we just do it. Uh, Most people are over the phone and we'll do an hour call per week. And people use me as their feedback loop to say, okay, let's understand your tendencies. Uh, Let's take this very simple approach, intention, strategy to your next round. Come back to me with what was challenging, what worked well, what you didn't understand, and we'll continue to refine it and uh, and make it best for who that player is. Uh, because one thing that I've been doing is getting certified in with mental golf type, which is essentially a personality platform for golf. So it designs mental golf programs based on your personality. Because as you, it's kind of crazy. Like a lot of people say, aim small, miss small. Like that doesn't work for my type because I'm um, an intuitive perceiver. So I'm an extroverted, intuitive um, ENF feeler perceiver. So oh, for me, I big z- I one of those. So big zones oh, are best for me. Yep. So if okay. I'm trying to focus on a small target, I feel restricted, but you take me to a driving range or a hole that's wide open, I can just mash it. That's you know, true. and so sure. bigger zones work for me. So that type of stuff's really important because not everybody should be coached the same. Everybody's super different. So that's yeah, the type of stuff we can personality, iron. Diff- different thought. And like you said, so when you, as you know, obviously COVID has affected a lot of people and all that. Is this something that is with golf has actually grown quite a bit since COVID uh, started and came about. Is that something being, you could do phone calls, things like that, where it's really helped get people into the game of golf and maybe help you as well, as far as like with the phone calls, uh, zooms, is that something that, I don't know, every person that we've talked to is people have picked up golf. I mean, we've had people on the podcast that literally never played golf before until COVID started. So is that, yeah. um, I mean, with social media in general, it's really easy to help people by not just necessarily being face to face. You could literally do uh, a zoom call or like you said, um, is that something that's helped or hurt or anything like that? Do you think of since, since you started the part train and the, in the mental coaching? Yeah, it's been huge. You know, we, I feel like, you know, we doubled last year uh, with our listenership and on social and like, I don't know if that would have happened, you know, if golf didn't get this surge of interest and a lot of new, I think we pulled it once. It was like 30% had started playing golf in the last two years. It's kind of crazy. Um, and our intern, intern Hank, I think played as a kid, like sparingly, but really didn't get into it like crazy until COVID. So it's been cool to see the surge that the game has gotten. And I think to your point, Derek, it's, we've become more of open. I don't know if three or four years ago, people would have been as open to hiring a mental coach that they talked to over the phone, you know, and, uh, I've done in person, I've been on the course with them. But actually, sometimes phone can be even better because people, I think, are a little bit more vulnerable and they can walk around and do it while they're doing other stuff. And uh, you can take notes, you know, and look at it the next session. So, yeah, I think it's been huge for, for us, but also just golf in general, obviously. So you just go to the website and you said that so 10 sessions is kind of like what you would 
suggest if you're to, yeah. to sign up for that. Okay. Yeah. And you could, you could almost look at this as not just on the golf course, but outside of the golf course as well, or off the golf course as well. Right. I mean, I'd feel like some of these people that are taking this swing coach, this, this, uh, the mental coach, um, these training, there are these, uh, uh, what would you say? Training, not trainings. Um, drawing a blank here. I'm, I'm trying to think of what you're trying to say. And now you're getting me. Kind <laughs> yeah. of, kind I of guess flustered. what I'm saying is that the, you can relate to them <laughs> on and off the course, I guess. Right. You make yeah. these phone calls. It's easy to, to, to take this on a, in a real life situation. Well, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, one, one of the guys I coach is an amazing surgeon at UCLA. And we realized that he was playing golf totally different than he is at work at work. He's like this incredible surgeon. He's not that um, he lets things kind of happen. He trusts that he's going to know what to do in surgery, but he accepts that unexpected things are going to pop up. He always has a plan of what he's intending on at the beginning. And when I started first working with him, he had zero plan. He had no intention of any shot. And I was creating some anxiety for him because he didn't never knew what to focus on, you know, for certain shots. And he was making the same mistakes over and over. And a lot of people, I think, overestimate what having a plan even means. You know, I, I want to get into it with with uh, Dominic. I'm like itching at the bit here because I think Let it go, we yeah. actually had we had a country music star on the show named Fillmore. I don't know if you guys listen to his music, but um, I don't know who he is, but I've heard of the name. Yeah. The, yeah uh, he's a, there's a, um, like a more local podcast to us called the you betcha podcast. That, oh like, yeah. Yeah. Heard. He's done yeah. a song with yeah, them. He's yeah. done stuff with yeah. them. Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. With miles. So, like betcha guy. Yeah. When you first started telling me about your game, Dominic, I thought of Fillmore because Fillmore is the same way. And the thing I said to Fillmore is it's like, look, if you're just going out there and having a good time, you might be like, I don't need what the mental stuff. Like, I, I don't even know where the ball is going. Like, let me just go and have a good time and not worry about what I'm doing. But the interesting thing is, is that simply by, if you did nothing else and you think about what am I trying to do here? And you just vocalize what you're trying to do. Suddenly your commitment becomes so much easier because you've thought out and you've vocalized to your body and your motor systems of what you're trying to do. And I want you to focus on what you're trying to do, what you're not, not trying to not do, but what you're trying to do. And like one thing with Fillmore and one of the guys I coach, very similar, where they get up to the ball around the green and they're thinking about, you know, technique and what not to do and not schooling it, not chunking it. And then, but they're not actually thinking of like, well, where do I want to leave this? Like, okay, the flag's tucked in the back right over a bunker. I can probably just put this 15 feet, 12 feet in the middle of the green, you know? So like literally just asking yourself, where do I want to put it? What am I trying to do here? It's an entirely different game. And that's it. That's the only exchange, you know? So sometimes by telling yourself you want to have fun and not want to think about that stuff because you don't want to take it too seriously, Sometimes you're almost creating a barrier to some things that can be helpful because you don't want to fall into the trap of taking it too seriously. Right. So that was something we really, that was really interesting that we dug into with Fillmore that I think could apply to you, Dominic. That's something I actually do. I do. I walk up to it and I go, okay, we are X away. What do I want to do with where I am? I don't know if you've seen me do this. I, I don't always like vocally talk to people sometimes i'll just kind of mutter to myself like okay the we're here the greens here what can i do around the greens i don't tend to do that because there's a bunch of different situations that pop up for me i feel like my short game is pretty solid yeah it's not bad it's probably your strongest so i don't really feel like i can go okay you know i'm off the green i kind of already have an idea of what i want to do um it's more so i hit my drive and i didn't go as far as i wanted it to but i'm starting to kind of no, I don't hit the ball very far, which I'm totally okay with. It's more so like after that, I'm always like, okay, we are X amount away. What club am I going to hit? Um, stuff like that. The other part of my game is we've talked about it quite a bit. The first clubs we normally pick Derek will walk up and he's got like 
like an eight iron. I don't think we've ever had this actually happen in real life, but an example would be like, he would walk up with like an eight iron and I'd be like, Oh, I have a four iron, <laughs> like something way different. And he'll just go with yeah. it. And I'll just go with it. You know, a good example was my buddy and I were playing a course that neither of us had played. He's hitting, I think he has like a seven iron and I have a hybrid and he chunks his seven and I am on the green with my hybrid. And I think a lot of that had to do with just what I was comfortable with. You know, I know I can yeah. hit my hybrid X, but I'm also not trying to over hit a seven iron or something like that. I think that's a big part of my game too. Um, I wish I had some parts of Derek's mental game where he goes, okay, I know what I'm going to do. and I'm going to execute it. I always know what I want to do. It's just a matter of, am I going to hit it? Stuff like that. Cause like you guys are like earlier on, Derek was saying, how oh, he's not comfortable out of like greenside bunkers or mm-hmm. stuff like that. If I'm not within a certain distance, I get uncomfortable because I'm not very comfortable with anything, but my irons, I hit my irons really well. I hit my, you know, wedges really well, but like my woods and my driver, God burn them. Like, don't know why I spent the money I did this year on a new driver and a new three wood, but like those two, like if I could hit a driving iron for the rest of my life, I probably would. It makes a big difference getting off the tee, but like I said, I think that's yeah, I think that's kind of the Dom's biggest setback. Well, you, I think Dom is better mentally than you probably give yourself credit for, and the fact that you're comfortable hitting a hybrid when someone's hitting a seven, I'd say ninety percent of people aren't comfortable doing that, and they would probably question it, club up in a club that's not right for them, because we're so worried, which is so relatable in life. Like we're 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 tribalists. We want to be accepted. It makes sense that you don't want to seem inferior to someone mm-hmm. else, you know, or be judged, but it's kind of like, uh, we were talking before we got on it. You're a big baseball guy too. It's like when I was playing baseball, I never had batting gloves. Like I, I had the very much like the Matt Carpenter approach, put some yeah. dirt on it, go in and see what happens. Um, yeah. I think a big part for me is just kind of not worrying about what other people think I'm hitting, you know, if I'm comfortable with it, you're going to go with it. Yeah. At at the end of the day, if I'm not comfortable with it, I'm not going to get a good shot. That's how I know my brain works. That's how I've kind of, I've had to learn that about myself, which is not always easy for me, but just kind of saying, okay, Derek's in an eight. I know he'll be fine. And I know I'm more comfortable hitting this. Maybe it's just a more forgiving club for me. I had to kind of flip that switch and go, it's okay. Like it, it it's a yeah. game, you know, it right. is what it is. Well, that's how Colin Morikawa plays. Like he could probably hit every shot, but he plays the shot he's comfortable with. And Rick, his coach has told us a lot about that. And so I think you're in a much better position than you probably give yourself credit for. Um, that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, the interesting thing that I think a lot of people could benefit from is, you know, the whole practice makes perfect thing. I say practice makes comfort. So if you, Derek, let's use you an example first. Bunkers. Your goal, if you have time, even 20 minutes, if you have time to go practice or you're going to the range and you normally spend an hour hitting balls, I would recommend spend 30 minutes in greenside bunkers, 30 minutes at the range, And I don't really care what you're working on. I just want you to get your reps in so that you can feel different feels and understand what makes you feel even 1% more comfortable. So one day I'll give you guys a quick story. One day I went to the range and I was like, and I struggled with my driver for years. We can talk about how I've started to bounce back from that recently with my work uh, with the mental side, but the driver was really like, the biggest trouble club for me. And I was in the trees, like every hole. And I just realized like I'm punching out from the trees almost every hole. And I'm not really comfortable. Yeah. I'm not really comfortable with the punk shot. So literally one day I went to the range and all I did, it was the, like one of the most fun range sessions I've ever had. I was just hitting piss missiles and stingers and punch I was shot. figuring out my feel with different clubs, different positions in my stance, different, uh, strength of how hard I'm swinging. I was trying all of it and I was gaining knowledge. Guess what happened next round? I hit my driver the same and I shot a 78 
because I was just so good. My friends were like laughing because they'd be hitting fairways and greens and I'd be in the trees and I'd be green side and I'd get up and down. Yep. And it's like such a fun way to play, even though, yeah, I'd love to be in the fairway and I'm starting to do that more. But so just think about the difference of like leaning into practice for your comfort, whether that's, you know, bunker for you, Derek, or long irons or hybrids of three woods or drivers for you, Dom, like, and that's all you work on. And the next round, you feel a little bit more confident with it, a little bit more okay to try it. Now you're going to start to build momentum. You're going to want to work on it more. And then your game starts to change. I think that's like a perfect spot for us to uh, hit the range next time. We'll leave it up and we'll definitely connect one more time. Cause I think uh, we'd love to kind of maybe uh, pick your brain towards the end of the uh, summer after we get more rounds of golfing. And uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, definitely appreciate your time. And uh, we had a blast. Like I said, it's probably the most informational or most podcast episode we've ever had. So my head kind of hurt. Yeah. I love it. I'm like, I got all these notes in my head right now. I'm going to start writing stuff down, but um, I really do appreciate Evan taking the time. Um, Again, I will, uh, we'll put the podcast episode up and we'll make sure to tag you on all that. And again, uh, hopefully uh, we'll connect down the road. Well, let me just do this because I don't want anyone's head to hurt. So let me sum it up for you in a really simple way for people to take with them. Most people think that if you ride the par train, you'll start to enjoy the ride, but it's the opposite. So just like Dom, be like Dom out there. Enjoy the ride first. Give yourself grace, low expectations. It's a hard game. Do your best. Think through shots, commit. And then you'll start riding the par train. It's the reverse. So, uh, if anyone has any questions or, or things, feel free to DM me at the par train and we'd love, I'd love to come back or maybe we could even have you guys on for a mental game round table and dig into your games even more. Let's yeah. do it. Yeah, let's do it. Definitely. We have our first tournament coming up here uh, in a couple of weeks. So I so said after, uh, ask us when we were less stressed about that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but, no, I haven't. Seriously. It's been awesome. I said, it's finally nice to meet you. Uh, uh, you too said we've been been dming for quite a while now so keep up all the great work and uh, uh we'll talk soon okay yeah you guys too thank you guys yeah, so thank much thank you